Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Having a good time. Um, We are in the middle of this series. We've been looking at the high, what's called the high view of God. And so hopefully you've been getting a lot out of this series. If this is your first Sunday, welcome, welcome. Um, You'll be able to just jump right in. So hopefully you've been getting a clearer vision as to who God is. Um, We've seen that God has no origin. He has no beginning, uh, that he requires no helpers, that he's unchangeable. He has no limitations. He's far above what our mind can conceive him and he is ever-present. So today, we're going to look at another uh, grand, great aspect of God and His character. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for just the revealing of Your Word to us, revealing of You to us. God, I pray that wherever we're at here with You this morning, God, that You would reveal Yourself to us. And I think that's at the base of our heart. That's why we came God, we didn't want to meet just nice people, but God, we wanted to meet the living God and to commune with you this morning. So Lord, uh, let just uh, we ask that you would just uh, graciously uh, say yes to that request in our heart, and God, speak to us powerfully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well... We're gonna we're kind of just diving right in. These are kind of big things. We're gonna the the title of today is God is the all wise, full of justice God, um, and so it's gonna be great. So uh, <laughs> what flows out of his transcendence? Last week we talked about that he's transcendent. He's far above. He's uncreated. Everything that we see, ourselves included, are created beings, uncreated, and he is far. Concept or imagine our imagination could conceive of, but we also look that he is ever present. That not only is he transcendent, he's far above, but he's ever present. But we're going to kind of go a little farther today. Uh, in Isaiah forty, Isaiah writes this or asks these questions: Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows even enough to give him advice or or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right and show him the path of justice? These questions Isaiah is asking, obviously they're they're rhetorical questions and the answer to everyone is nobody can. Nobody can. Nobody can advise the Spirit of the Lord as, as arrogant and as uh, myopic as we, we, we think that we could do a better job than the all-wise God. God knows instantly and effortlessly. If that's something that you struggle with, of I, am a, I love to critique God's plan. There's, there's uh, quite a few, but um, let me just say this. Um, do you, if you're God's plan, do you know instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters? Do you know all mind and every mind? Do you know all spirits 
Do you know every being? Do you know all creatures? Do you know every plurality and all pluralities? Do you know every law? Do you know every relation? God knows all causes. He knows all thoughts, mysteries, enigmas, feelings, desires, every unuttered secret that he knows. All thrones and dominions, all personalities. He knows all things visible and invisible in heaven and on earth, in motion, in space, heaven and hell. He knows all of it effortlessly. And Job, Job writes, with him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Are you in need of some wisdom this morning? God is asking you to turn to him for that wisdom. Isaiah 40, going back, says, Do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. But instead, his understanding is what? Endless. Endless. His understanding is endless. Wisdom among other things, is the ability to perfectly devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or speculate. Wisdom sees everything in focus, and with each proper relation to all, he is thus able to work towards predestined goals with precision. That is what wisdom, the wisdom of God is, among other things. All of God's acts are done in perfect wisdom. Now, that's, that's sometimes a hard statement for us to receive, but it was, it was as if, you ever been in a relationship with someone and they kind of do something a little weird and a little off or just kind of uncharacteristic, and you're like, Man, that wasn't you, but then you kind of come back and, 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 and how they were acting, they explain the backstory. And they explain the backstory, and you're like, oh, now that I get why you're kind of, yeah, now I know the full backstory. But us, when we look at God's plans, we don't even consider the backstory. We, we yield judgment against God and His plan because we think we know better. But we can look at the scriptures and see God's wisdom fully on display. How perfect was Jesus' coming in the manner that he did, in the time that he did. All the shining wisdom of men or of angels is but a reflection of the uncreated glory which streams from the throne of the majesty of the heavens. So God has wisdom. But yet there's another kind of wisdom that we find in our world, a wisdom that's from the world, a wisdom that ultimately, if we track back the genealogy of that idea, usually it's in the demonic realm. Wisdom that is mere shrewdness, motivated by selfishness or greed, which I think that we're kind of familiar maybe with that hyper-marketed type of wisdom, is often attributed to evil men. Oh, look how wise they are. But behind closed doors, their upfront facade falls, and you see that they're probably a little more evil than we give them credit. But such wisdom is deceitful and false. There's two kinds of wisdom that are in perpetual conflict. The wisdom of God, which is ultimate reality, 
versus the wisdom of rebellious men and of angels. And we take business, for example. In the business realm, we're very familiar with a type of wisdom that can get you ahead, that could get you, uh, that could open doors for you, that can make you great wealth, um, certain ways in which to do things. But a lot of times, it's training you how to overlook humanity for a, maybe a sold better end. So I'm going to leap over humanity or not really care so that I can get what I want. And humanity, there's a, there's a type of wisdom that, that fuels this. Or, or how about wisdom? Wisdom when it comes to our sexual lives. Um, do I walk in God's wisdom or in the short-sighted wisdom of the world? Which kind of wisdom are you walking in in that area of your life? Indeed, when seen from the lofty peak of Sinai or Calvary, the whole history of the world is discovered to be a contest between the wisdom of God and the cunning of Satan and fallen men. Which wisdom blesses humanity? And which wisdom takes from humanity? James 3 says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. This is what James, Jesus' brother, is laying it out for us. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. That is the wisdom of the Lord. James knows that to be wisdom because that is who God is. The testimony of faith is that no matter how things look in this fallen world, all of God's acts are fashioned in perfect wisdom. The incarnation of God's Son in human flesh, like I mentioned earlier, was one of God's mighty deeds. When you think of like the culture the culture of Greece, the development of Rome, a common language over most of the known world at the time, and right in the middle of that, in a small little village, God's son is birthed into. Perfect timing. Or how about the unexpected atonement at the cross, too, was accomplished with the same flawless skill that marks all of God's acts. In hindsight, we look back and we say, wow, that was a perfectly laid plan by God. Man, wow, there was the rebellion of man and rebellion of angels, and then there was Babel. He disperses, he gives the nations over to those fallen angels, and then he picks one family. And he says, through this one family, I'm going to win all those nations back. And so he walks with this one family, Israel. But yet Israel themselves become corrupted, and they begin worshiping other things other than God, begin sacrificing their children, begin worshiping these other idols, but yet God's faithfulness, which we'll get into next week, but God's faithfulness 
sees through this plan that was actually mentioned in Genesis 3. It says, he will crush your, you may bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And Jesus is born. And at that atonement, Jesus crushed the enemy's authority over mankind. No longer did he have complete authority over human beings. God now opened a door for mankind to be redeemed. Perfectly. We know that Christ's life, death, and resurrection perfectly reconciled God and man and opened the kingdom of heaven to all who come, humbly come to him. It's vitally important that we hold on to the truth of God's infinite wisdom and come to see with crystal clarity his good, rich, and pure wisdom versus the corrupted wisdom of the world. Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. And I think that it's partly what helps us is that we recognize that as truth. <laughs> is that we come to a place in our heart to say, God, that is true. Your way is greater than my, how I would envision. Your thoughts are much grander and a lot more detailed than what I know. But when it comes recently, when it comes to the wisdom of God, this aspect that kind of is attached to God's wisdom has been coming up in our imagination and within our culture, which is God's justice. What is justice? What is biblical justice versus what is the justice that is maybe different than that? Justice, the words justice and righteousness, so we're going to kind of pivot for specifically all of God's wisdom, specifically manifesting in justice. Justice and righteousness are basically two exact same words that we've pulled from the Bible translators, a lot of times when it says righteous, we could easily say justice. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. You could say the kingdom of God is justice, peace, and joy. So um, the concept of God held by psalmists and prophets of Israel was that of an all-powerful ruler, high and lifted up, reigning not only in wisdom, but in specific, specifically justness. That he is fully just. He is fully pure. It was prophesied by the prophets in the scriptures that the long-awaited Messiah would come and judge the people with righteousness, with justice. And even the Apostle John, the writer of Revelation, he sees the victorious saints standing on the sea of glass mingled with fire, and in their hands they hold harps of God, and they sing songs of Moses and of the Lamb. And the theme of their song is divine justice. This was John's vision of like the culmination of God's people, and he sees a host of people singing about divine justice. It says, great and marvelous are your works, O God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, the King of the nations. Who will, you not, who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, and your righteous deeds have been revealed. Justice, when used of God, is 
a name we give to the way God is, nothing more. When, when God acts justly, it's not, He's not doing so to conform to some like independent standard that He has to submit to. That's not what justice is. God is full of justice. He is the righteous definition of what that means. Everything in the universe is good to the degree that it conforms to the nature of God, and oppositely, evil as it fails to do so. There was a Christian philosopher and saint, Anselm is his name, archbishop. He was an archbishop of Canterbury. Archbishop of Canterbury. Yes. Yes. Uh, anyway, he sought a solution. Yes. Anyway, sorry, uh, I don't know what came over me. Anyway, um, Christian philosopher Anselm, he sought a solution to the apparent contradiction between the justice and the mercy of God. And he asked this question of God. How do you spare the wicked? How? Because of... Anyway, I won't go in. If you... Uh, okay, so here's his question. Sorry, I got rabbit trail. A little tired from the men's retreat. Uh, how do you spare the wicked, he inquired of God. If you are all just and supremely just, it was what he was wrestling. But it was interesting the way he phrased it. In wrestling with these things of the justice of God, and he phrased it as like, why are you even sparing the wicked instead of the reverse? He's recognizing the moral dilemma. Unrighteous cannot dwell with righteous. All of us are sinful. So God, how can you bring mercy into that? But he looked straight at God for the answer, for he knew that it lies in who he is. And he came up with the conclusion that there's nothing in his justice which forbids the exercise of mercy. God's compassion flows out of his goodness, and goodness without justice is not goodness. So God spares, he adopts, he heals, and he empowers us because he is good. A simpler, more familiar solution to the problem of how can God be just and merciful at the same time is found in the redemption of Christ. How do these two opposing forces work together in perfect Unity, divine justice has worked itself out into reality. Justice is not violated but satisfied when God redeems a sinner. Redemption demonstrates that mercy does not become effective towards a person. Mercy does not become effective towards a person until justice has done its work. So when you and I come to the Lord, the first thing that he brings up is the need for justice. God, I am broken and sinful. I come before you. There's justice that needs to be dealt. But then, <laughs> but because of our brokenness and righteousness, we're all under a death sentence. A judgment which resulted when justice confronted our moral situation, when infinite equity encountered our chronic and willful inequity. There was a violent war between the two and a war which God wins always. However, when the sinful person 
casts himself or herself upon Christ for salvation, which is another word for wholeness. Sometimes we religify words and we kind of make up meanings, but salvation means wholeness. So when a sinful person casts himself upon Christ for wholeness, the moral situation is reversed. Justice confronts the changed situation and pronounces the believing man just. You're righteous. Wow. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful in what? Just. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you could say injustice. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all injustice done to us and to cleanse us from all the injustice we've done to others. God's justice stands forever against the sinner in utter severity. The vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate in our society. God won't punish it. God, you know, we, we kind of did away with original sin in the, 19th, in the 19th century, right? I mean, didn't we kind of do that? Kind of together as like people and philosophers, didn't we kind of all agree that Man, it would just be better if we just didn't have this concept of sin. And so we adopt other uh, ideologies that replace uh, this original sin, and yet it mirrors a lot of, anyway, it mirrors a lot of the gospel. I'm in my own head this morning. Anyway, but this idea that God is too kind to punish it hushes our fear and it allows us to practice all forms of inequity while death draws every day nearer and nearer and the command to repent goes unheeded. Maybe we need to see God's wisdom and justice in a whole new light. Maybe our heart is aching for a sense of justice that is more defined by the world than aching, if you're a follower of Jesus, than our heart aching for the justice that we see in the scriptures. And I'd much rather have his justice than the broken justice the world divvies out. So here's his promise. This is the last scripture and we'll pray. Isaiah 42, he says this. Here's his promise. Come on, everybody. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. If you want God's, if you want to experience God's wisdom and his justice in your life, let him lead you. Let him lead you. Let him lead you by his voice and by his word so that we don't succumb to worldly wisdom and so much in my personal opinion so much of that wisdom has found its way to almost define what it means to follow Jesus into the church but if we would just say no God I want your justice not just not the worldly justice even though sometimes the fruits of it are the same the way in which it happens is totally different 
But that would be my prayer, that God would lead us in this cultural milieu that we live in, that God would lead us to have eyes to see his righteous judgment, his righteous justice, not judgment, his righteous justice, uh, flourish through his people, and that he is just and he is all wise. And uh, earlier we, we read a passage in James, and if you read in James 1, that might be a little little devotional off of this message. If you read James 1, James talks about wisdom. And he says, if you are in need of wisdom, ask in faith, and God will answer. But don't be like wishy-washy, don't doubt, don't, eh. there's, there's this, there's this framing by James that come to God confidently, and if you need wisdom, ask, and he will give it. And so, to kind of end, kind of in a practical way, I know that we were kind of a little bit over this territory, but just to kind of bring it back home, is there any area in your life right now that you need divine wisdom? Is there any area in your life that maybe when you lay your head down on the pillow, that's the thing that's just kind of cranking on your brain? Maybe out throughout the week, it's the, one, it's the thing that kind of stresses you out. God, I need wisdom for this area. Might be relationally, might be you know, at work or whatever it may be. I feel like God wants to say, will you ask me in faith? Because I want to answer. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are the all-wise, full of justice God. God, we thank you that you have and just possess unlimited wisdom. Lord, we thank you that you're a God that wants to actually bestow wisdom to his people. God, we thank you that that's, God, you could keep that all to yourself. You could keep your wisdom. You could just let us just kind of, you know, try to figure things out. But God, you want to bequeath, bestow your wisdom upon us, upon our children, and upon our children's children. God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom in this hour, in this season that we need to have. Lord, there's certain areas maybe in our life that we need specific wisdom. We need specific direction. We don't really know how to untie this knot that we are losing sleep over. God, I pray that you would give us your wisdom to solve problems that, God, only you can solve. Lord, there, there may be a relational situation that only as we hear from you, it will resolve. God, maybe there's some things in business or things at work. God, there's just, ah, but God, maybe it will never resolve until we lean into you for your divine wisdom. So, Lord, I thank you that you're a God that gives us wisdom. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak powerfully to, these, to all of us during this week as we come to you and ask you for wisdom. May we experience a depth of you that we haven't before as we lean in. And, we, and, we, and, and God, I even help, I pray that you would help rewire our brain as to what is godly wisdom, what is the worldly wisdom, and God, what justice looks like, what your justice looks like. Because God, that's what we want. And we want it done in your way, not in the way the world would want to quote-unquote, bring justice. 
So Lord, I thank you for your people here. God, I pray that we could be your church and bring your life as we go out from this place, a mere building that's filled with your church. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, next week we'll dive into the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's going to be awesome. So, have a good week leaning into his wisdom. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.